0: Hebrews chapter 9, I had originally intended on uh, preaching uh, or splitting my message in half this morning. The first half was going to be before worship and the second half after worship. Uh, It became apparent, it didn't really become too apparent, but we kind of came to the conclusion last service that there's no time for the second half of this if God moves in the first half of it. Um, And we're praying that God moves in the first half of it, so this is probably my whole sermon. Did you follow that? No, I don't think so, but that's okay. Hebrews chapter 9. We're just spending this time hovering over chapters 8, 9, and 10, talking about two things, the tabernacle of the Old Testament, and then we'll be getting to the covenant. And this summer will be a covenantal summer, I suspect. But the author says this, starting in verse 2. A tabernacle was set up, In its first room were the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. And then he tells us what that ark contained, and we've already preached on that. Pray with me a moment here for the word. Father, as we turn out to your word and as we then go into worship, we ask that your presence would be here. Father, give me the words to say that will drive home the message that you want to have driven home here. I mean, the words won't do it. That's got to be a work of your spirit. So God, I just pray that you would uh, use the words, however they come out, to confront us and to transform us to be the people you've called us to be. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Here's the deal, we're talking about the temple of the Old Testament, been doing that for a couple of months. If you walk into the temple or the tabernacle, the tent of the Old Testament, first thing you see is this brazen altar where they offered the sacrifices. This is the outer court now. Right behind that was this uh, wash basin where the priests would wash themselves. All of that has meaning, because the author of Hebrews tells us that everything about this temple was done as a shadow pointing to the reality that God was going to bring later on. This, This... Tent was a symbolic tent, even though it was literal in history, everything about it was symbolic, so God gave a lot of details that we need to pay attention to and learn from. You go out of the outer court, you come into the holy place. Now, beyond the holy place, it's called the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. We've already talked about that, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the cherubim, all that was there. In this holy place, there's three pieces of furniture. One was uh, the showbread you walked in, you'd see the, the, the table of showbread on your right, and the uh, candles, seven candles on your left. All of that has profound meaning that we'll be looking at. Right ahead of you, you'd see the golden altar, the golden altar of incense. This is where they burn incense. The author here actually says that it was inside the Holy of Holies, but if you read the Old Testament text, it says it was in the holy place just outside of the Holy of Holies. Now, It seems very unlikely that the author got it wrong since that was a very fundamental Jewish thing. He's a Jewish author writing to a Jewish audience. They all knew the contents of this room very well. Plus, he's writing under inspiration. But I think there's a reason why he did this. And here's here's what I suspect. He is so associating this altar, this incense, with the mercy seat that he is saying uh, that for all intents and purposes, the two are joined together. This piece of furniture is intimately aligned with the mercy seat and you'll see why that's important later on. What does if everything about the temple is a shadow, what is this a shadow of? I want to talk about this altar of incense. What is it a shadow of? What you find throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament is this. The burning of incense, the burning of incense. Um was always associated with one of two things, either with the prayers of God's people or with the praise of God's people. And I'm going to talk about the second one here this morning before we enter into worship. That's why we're putting this up front. Throughout the Bible, you have this portrayal that when the people of God praise him, it is like burning incense before the Lord. The, the, the smoke of our incense, the smoke of our praise, is a sweet smelling savor unto the Lord. He delights in that smell, in that aroma. It is as though this is how we're given to think about it. In this holy place, in this tabernacle, there was no ventilation. You've got to know that. And it wasn't that big of a room. And every time the priest went in there to do his ministry, he had to light this incense. And this aroma would then fill the room. you got to picture it as being smoke-filled, packed with this aroma. What it tells us is this. If we are going to minister, if we're going to come before the throne, the mercy seat, the seat of God, and if we're going to have fellowship with God on his throne of glory, we have got to surround ourselves with a sweet-smelling aroma of praise and worship and adoration and celebration. There's no other way to get to the Holy of Holies except by this altar of incense. It stood right in front of it, so closely aligned that the author actually says that they're in the same room. They're associated together. You can't have one without the other. And if we are going to enter into the Holy of Holies, that is to say, if you want to have fellowship with God, intimacy with God, it's got to happen through praise, and it's got to happen through adoration. When we do that, when our focus is on the Lord and we give him, as the word worship means, ascribe to him the worth that is due his name, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And that smoke, the aroma, the thickness of our praise, if it's heartfelt, God-centered, Christ-centered praise. Praise. That smoke of our adoration becomes the presence of God. And the presence of God fills the auditorium, or if you're worshiping at home, as we all must, the smoke of his presence fills your room, it fills your house, it fills your being. And I can't possibly find a word here this morning that would express anything close to the importance of us regularly experiencing that. You can do this Christianity thing in one of two ways. You can do it as a religion, or you can do it as a reality. The reality is this. God wants to have fellowship with us. He wants communion with us, and he doesn't want that just to be a theoretical thing. He wants it to be a real thing, and it is a real thing. I don't know if all of us here have, in our memory, a time when we entered into the presence of God. Have you ever done that? Where you're sitting there and all of a sudden the atmosphere changes. I'm not talking poetry here. I know some of you are not going to know what I'm talking about. Holy Spirit helped us to get communicated. You're sitting in the room and you begin to worship God and begin to sing. And all of a sudden there's this whoosh. You know what I'm talking about? It's like something changed. The presence of God. You can almost cut it. It's tangible. You can cut it with a knife. It's like, it's a reality. We're not talking theoretical, theological metaphysics here. We're talking experiential reality. We're, it's a real thing that happens. I listened to this guy a couple of weeks ago who was talking about this tornado experience he went through down in southern Minnesota, and he was saying he actually went right through the tornado, and he said just before, seconds before the tornado hit, all of a sudden the pressure in the atmosphere changed. It was like, whoa, what was that? And... He said every square inch of your body, you could just feel this change. It was weird. It was eerie. And it is, in a sense, the same way before the tornado of God's presence hits a people. And while the, presence of God, the tornado of, God, of God's presence hits a the people, there's an atmospheric change. In the, in the Old Testament, they describe it as smoke, the Shekinah glory coming down and settling on a people who were praising him. It is when we are in that presence that God begins to do things in our life that could never be done outside of that presence. This is the point of the whole thing, folks. The the, the point of everything, every doctrine we have, every belief that we have, the goal of it all is to have fellowship with God because that's what we're going to be doing throughout eternity. But God does not want to wait until we die to have that fellowship with us. He wants it here, he wants it now, and I'm telling you, it is real. It happens when people of God begin to praise Him and worship Him. When we worship God, when we set aside everything else, when we focus on Him, when we ascribe to Him the worth, that's what the word worship means, worship we ascribe to Him the worth that is due Him, which is really to say, Lord, You are more important than life itself. When we do that, to the degree that we do that, we create, as it were, a vacuum in our own being, and the presence of God comes and fills up that vacuum. And to enter into the presence of God is to enter into the fullness of His joy, the joy that God is. It's to enter into the peace that God is. It's to enter into the power that God is. It's to enter into the presence of God. The love, the joy, the peace, the power is to enter into that. And here's why this is so crucial. That's why it's so crucial. You don't worship God because of what you can get from it. But on the other hand, the Lord promises that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything will be added unto you. And some of us this morning need joy because you don't have any, and you need peace because you don't have any of that. You need some power because you're feeling totally victimized. You need some love because you're feeling unloved. And you try to get those things in life, but you can't get those things by your own effort, at least not to the fullness that God wants you to have them. The way to enter into this, here's the secret, here's the this is it right now, it's no secret, but here's the central truth, it's the fundamental truth, it's the foundational truth. You want what God has, you gotta move into his presence. And the way to move into his presence, the way to get into the Holy of Holies, is to burn incense at the altar, it's to send up praise and thanksgiving and adoration. Another way, in other words, and this is so true. Kingdom stuff is always like this basically, as a rule of thumb, if you want to do a kingdom thing, do the opposite of what your natural mind would say. And it holds true for this. Grasp this. It's revelation and freedom if you lay hold of it. The way to find the joy of God is to stop obsessing on the lack of joy in your life and worship God. Amen? And the way to enter into the peace that passes all understanding, which characterizes God, it's for at least the next half hour or 45 minutes or however long we're going to worship God to, to just forget about all the anxiety, all the thoughts, the worries, the concerns, the obsessions that you have and to say to God, you are bigger than that, you are worth more than that because I'm going to pay attention to you right now rather than that. And then you move into a peace that is not your own. We spend so much energy trying to get peace, trying to find the joy, trying to find the love, trying to find the power, got to fix, got to tweak the system. So much of our energy and thought and concern is spent doing that. And I'm not saying ignore that altogether, but I am saying this. For every nickel we spend doing that, we should spend $5 worshiping God in spite of that. Amen? Amen. Adoring the Lord, lifting him up, praising his name. Because in the end, you move into his presence. And that's what ministers you something that even tweaking the system in the world can never give you. When you learn how to enter into the presence of God, to praise God, to worship God, despite the depression that is in your life, now you find joy. But you seek after joy, and you're never going to get rid of the depression. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. However much power you feel like you don't have in your life, a lack of power, if you can but put those on the side. And I'm not saying this is a panacea, cure-all, everything's life is going to be rosy. Not at all. I'm not giving you any guarantees about your life. It may be ten times more miserable this afternoon than it was this morning. That's the bad news. The good news is that right now you don't have to give a rip. Praise God. Because you worship a God who is far greater than that. Amen. And I can promise you this. If you'll spend the time in worship at home but also here and there's a special thing that God does when His people are gathered together to worship Him. If we spend time worshiping now and and setting aside all of that, you're going to go out of this place different than you came here and you'll have some fuel to handle the depression stuff, the weakness stuff, the lack of joy, the lack of love, the anxiety stuff. You'll have spend some time in the presence of God. And you go now confront the world with something other than what the world can give you. I love that, you know, it's like you spend some time in the aroma of God, and when you walk out of here, people can smell it. There's a place in, in uh, Acts 4, just reading it last night, where they, the disciples went out. These were kind of uneducated people and, and, you know, just fishermen, and they go take on the Sanhedrin. And they're preaching the word of God boldly. They're just, bam, and they're doing miracles. And it's said here that the people could perceive that they had been with Jesus. Now, Jesus was ascended, but they had spent time in prayer. In fact, just before that episode in Acts 4, they were praying. They could... There's something different about you. There's an aroma here, you see... Because there's a joy that shouldn't be there. There's a peace that shouldn't be there. There's a love that shouldn't be there. There's a power that shouldn't be there. Because you spent some time in the presence of God. The key that accesses this is the incense of your praise. The incense of your worship. That's why the Bible says, praise God at all times. Worship God continually. It doesn't mean you feel like it. It doesn't mean that, you know, it comes natural. It doesn't mean that you should spend all your time driving in a car with your eyes closed, going like this. I hope it doesn't mean that, otherwise you better really be praying that God will be guiding you. But it does mean in every situation, don't let the situation be bigger than God. And your attitude reflects, your attitude reflects the worth that God has for you by making the choice to now set aside everything else and focus on him. the Lord gave Moses some very detailed instructions about how he was to build every part of this this, uh, tabernacle. And it it even applied to this altar of incense. He gave uh, Moses some instruction about what to use in making this incense. He wanted it to smell a certain way. And I think that was a shadow of things to come. It was a little bizarre. He told uh, Moses to take some, I think it's called stacne, which is this uh, this, um, resin from a tree, and to take some uh, gollabum, I think it was called, which is a, uh, a sap from a rare, uh, the root of a rare plant in the desert. And to t- take some um, acnea, I think it was called. And it, this is a shellfish. Now, these are people who are desert wanderers. You got to go and find me a shellfish here. And, uh, uh, and then they had to grind that up and put it in there. Doesn't that sound weird? And then they took some frankincense, which comes from the bark from some trees. Not a whole lot of those out there either, folks. You take that. All these things are very, very rare. Very rare. Seashells in the desert. And uh, you grind it up into a fine powder. You put it all together. You put it on the altar, and you light a fire underneath it. And the stuff, I'm told, smells fantastic. It's a <laughs> Even God likes it. It's a, I do like those burning seashells. You know, mmm. Here's the point. Here's the point. If we are to be a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord... The Lord wants to take us, the rarest part of us, the choicest part of us. The Lord doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want what's convenient. He doesn't want, you know, sort of here's what I feel like giving today. He uh, doesn't want our moods. He doesn't need our moods. You keep your moods to yourself. Your moods are utterly irrelevant. He doesn't want the leftover of your time. What he wants is, is the rare part of you, that part that hardly anyone, if anyone, ever, ever gets the quality part of you, the the choice part of you. He wants your best. Why? Because nothing else reflects the worth of who he is. He's worthy of the best. Find the seashells in the desert of your life at that rarest part of you, the best part of you, the best of your mind, the best of your heart, the best of your energy, the best of your enthusiasm, and offer it up in worship. Spend it, which is what this whole thing about being crushed is. Find the rarest, precious things and utterly crush them. Utterly spend them. Utterly divest them. Crucify yourself, the Bible says. Crucify yourself. Be broken in the Spirit. Pour it out and abandon for Jesus Christ. That's what worship is. is taking the best of you and utterly, utterly laying it on the altar. And the Holy Spirit comes and lights a fire underneath it. And to God, that smells good. Amen. To God, this is what this relationship is. It's like this. He utterly poured himself out for us. He took the best of himself and poured it out to us. We are to take the best of ourselves, here and now, which is to say all of ourselves, in the innermost depths of our being, and, and do the crucifixion back to him. This is what the love relationship. this is why worship is a romance. He does it to us, now we do it back to him. Yes, Lord, we reciprocate. We utterly abandon ourselves. We totally focus on you. We reject for this time the world, the cares, the concerns, and focus in exclusively on you because you are all that matters. You're all that matters. You are life itself to us. When we take the best and are ground up and burned with the fire of the Holy Spirit, it becomes a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. And that's when God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, as we make ourselves open to him, he floods in and fills that vacuum, and the presence of God inhabits this place. And God begins to change us. Tears begin to flow. Healings begin to happen. We become changed people in the presence of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing could be more important than that. Amen? That's the bottom line, folks. But it comes, it comes from knowing what we're doing here. Worship is not about whether we're going to sing a fast song, slow song, a loud song, soft song. It's not about whether the person next to you showered this morning or whether they're singing on key. It's not about whether the roast is going to be there. It's not about singing in harmony. It's not about getting it all right. It's not about saying, well, you know, people don't seem like they're into it or not. Worship becomes worship when you make this decision. Life is Christ. Nothing else matters. I choose to worship Christ. And I don't really care. It's not my business what's going on over there, over there, whether that person's worshiping. Wish that person would get on key. Uh, You know, that's not where it's at. It's about focusing on him. The words are just a vehicle. We sing the words, but the words are there to usher us into the presence of God. My heart's prayer, Norm's heart's prayer, it should be all of our prayer, is that we as a congregation learn how to receive the whoosh. It's no secret how it happens. It happens when we take the best of ourselves, right here, right now, not tomorrow, now, grind it up, spend it, divest ourselves up of it, and the Holy Spirit lights it, and phew, the aroma fills the room. And to God it is sweet. It's like he finds it irresistible. I'm going down there, <laughs> and he dwells in his people. You know what else? One, one final thing: is the worship team comes out, you guys ready? God loves it. The angels love it. It is the presence of God. Doesn't matter whether you feel tingly or not. That's also another distraction. Don't worry about it. You don't have to feel diddly squat. God's worth worship, whether you feel like it or not. But I'll tell you this: demons are repulsed by this odor. Uh, this same incense. You ever smelled something that was so revulsive that you had to run? Um, it's like it's your stomach just goes that is, I'm convinced last night the Lord just kind of gave this to me it's kind of a picture, we begin to worship God to the degree that we're sold out and abandoned and focused on nothing else other than Jesus Christ, that is aroma that fills this room, to that extent it is repulsive to demonic powers they gotta leave, they're scrambling. they gotta go, they can't take it it turns their stomach a lot of us are in bondage to things. You've got problems, issues, things going on, and I'm not going to blame it all on the devil, but I know this. The devil loves to invest whatever energy he can into those things to keep you down, to keep you living below where God would want you to live. You need that stuff off your back. Don't you want to get it off your back? How many people here this morning want freedom? Amen. Get the freedom worship God, forget about the varmints, the spiritual varmints. You worship God, sell out, be abandoned, Focused only on him. And they got to run. They got to run. Father in heaven, we invite you to be a part of this now. Lord, we make the decision. Father, help each one of us here this morning. Make the decision. In the overflow room, Lord, make the people, lead the people to make this decision, to focus on you, to see you in the spirit to worship you and to care about nothing else. Because you are worth more than everything else and you are bigger than anything else. So we choose now to set aside distractions. We choose to be unconcerned about our mood. We choose to be unconcerned about issues in our life. We choose, Lord, to right now take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Lord, we choose right now to focus on you, to allow you to grab our chin as we grab your chin and to say to you what you mean to us. And then we invite you to inhabit the praises of your people. Be glorified here. Be glorified here, Lord God. Be glorified. It's all that matters. Be glorified, Lord.